Hello and welcome back to Cover to Cover, where once again our subject is the Italian writer Elena Ferrante. Back in January, we published episodes about the first two volumes of my brilliant friend, the story about the lives of Lila and Nanu. And we will soon publish a further episode about this great saga. But first, we would like to make a detour by way of another Ferrante story. I'm talking about Ferrante's short novel, The Lost Daughter. Now, just to be very clear, I am not talking about the fourth volume of the Neapolitan saga, My Brilliant Friend, which in English is called The Story of the Lost Child, in Italian, Storia della Bambina Perduta. I'm talking about a completely different book, a story published by Ferrante in 2006, i.e. five years before the first volume of My Brilliant Friend Saw the Light of Day. In English, this book is called The Lost Daughter. In Italian, the title is La Filia Oscura. Now, this book, The Lost Daughter, tells the story of a university professor from Florence, a woman in her late 40s called Lida, who goes to spend her summer holiday alone on the Ionian coast, somewhere not too far from Naples. Lida is a sophisticated woman, a professional and intellectual, and as far as her personal life is concerned, she has separated from her husband, her two daughters, who are in their early 20s, are living in Canada with her ex-husband. It's summer, the university is on holiday, and so she decides to spend a month away from the city at the beach. Lida is an elegant woman, she dresses well, she is attractive to men, but heterosexual love has become an irrelevance for her. She arrives in the seaside resort where she has rented a small top-floor apartment. With the help of the caretaker, Giovanni, she settles in, and then she drives each day from the apartment to the beach nearby to swim and relax and read books and prepare her courses for the upcoming academic year. It's at that beach that the trigger incident on which the whole story turns occurs. Stretched out on her sunbed at the beach under the shade of her parasol, Lida notices a young woman whose name turns out to be Nina. Nina is playing with her young daughter, Elena, a child aged about four, a red-eyed, runny-nosed, querulous embodiment of the messy entanglement of the mother-daughter pond. Lida is immediately struck by the pleasure that these two take in each other, by the bond between them. Each day when she takes up her spot at the beach, 
Lida observes Nina and Eleanor walking and talking and playing. Eleanor has a doll to whom the two of them speak and who is included in all their games and activities. For example, when Eleanor runs down to the water's edge with her bucket to get water to sprinkle on her mum lying on the hot sand, she also sprinkles it on the doll. And from her position under her sun umbrella, Lida observes the wonderfully tender and close and indeed erotic love that binds mother and daughter and that also binds them to the doll that Eleanor carries everywhere. And as she observes them, emotions and memories from her own life, connected with her own mother and with her own daughters, who are now far away in Canada, those memories and emotions resurface. The young woman, Nina, who is in her early 20s, is married to a man who is a familiar type in the Ferrante universe. He is a figure from the Neapolitan Camorra, a heavy, thick-set man aged somewhere between 30 and 40, not tall, indeed noticeably shorter than his wife, Nina, but powerful. He has a shaved head, a big protruding belly, and on that belly, a scar runs from his groin to his chest. In terms of body shape, he is a total contrast to the slim, tall young man, Gino, the beach attendant, who looks on from his position It turns out that the young woman Nina gave birth to her child when she was 19. Now she and her child and various other relatives are spending the summer months at the beach and the gangster husband visits faithfully each Saturday. The first time he shows up, he arrives with a loud party of family and clan members and hangers-on, and his power is immediately apparent. He comes onto the beach with his bodyguards, kisses his daughter, puts his hand behind Nina's neck and draws her to him so that he can kiss her with, and here I quote Ferrante's words, restrained proprietary command. Restrained proprietary command. I am reminded of that remark of Elena Ferrante in one of the interviews that appears in front of Maglia, where she says, Male power? <laughs> Male power, whether violently or delicately imposed, is still bent on subordinating us. In The Lost Daughter, male power is intent on maintaining Nina subordinate. Nina has married into the mafia very young and there is no escape. Indeed, when Lida first becomes aware of Nina, she imagines her 
as being the victim of a kidnapping. However attracted Nina was to her husband in the early days of their relationship, escape is what she wants. Escape is the word that she uses when she talks about her situation with Lida. But this is not really a story about men or even of women escaping men. In this story, it seems to me, and also to a certain extent in My Brilliant Friend and most definitely in The Days of Abandonment, the story that Ferranti published in 2002, the male characters are essentially irrelevant. They are a distraction from the real story. We can perhaps even sort the male characters into three categories. One, threatening violent distractions like the Solara brothers or Stefano in My Brilliant Friend or here in The Lost Daughter, this mafia guy that Nina has married. At one point in the book, when Lida confronts Nina about her flirtatious behaviour with Gino, the beach attendant, and asks her what would happen if her husband were to see what she herself has witnessed, Nina admits that he would cut her throat. Two attractive distractions like Nino in My Brilliant Friend or here like Gino, the beach attendant, who is obsessed with Nina, very anxious to get her into bed, but whom she regards as nothing more than a bit of fun. And three ridiculous, somewhat pathetic distractions, like the 69-year-old Giovanni in The Lost Daughter, the caretaker of the apartment that Lida rents, who is attracted by Lida, impressed by this elegant woman from Florence and who dutifully carries up her luggage when she first arrives in the little town. One evening when Lida by chance enters the bar where Giovanni is sitting with a group of his friends, Giovanni comes over to the counter where she is standing and positions himself close to her, speaking in a friendly, complicit manner from time to time, touching her elbow, showing off to his friends who are observing, trying to convey by his body language an intimacy with this woman that does not, in fact, exist. I think Giovanni is a brilliantly drawn cameo of the irrelevance of the male. In one scene, he shows up at Lida's apartment on a Sunday looking very spruce and cooks a fish for her. And they end up having a pleasant chat about their kids and, in his case, grandkids. Giovanni, who, of course, has great respect for Nina's husband, is critical of today's youth and today's society. And as he sounds off, Lida makes an observation to us, the readers, which seems to me noteworthy in relation to Ferranti's work as a whole. 
Males always have something pathetic about them. At every age, a fragile arrogance, a frightened audacity. I no longer know today if they ever aroused in me love or only an affectionate sympathy for their weaknesses. This is the character leader speaking, but I must admit that I see in this statement a point of view that grows strongly out of the author's own experience. In Ferranti's work, males are a dangerous and irritating sideshow. It is affection and love between females that takes primacy. As we learn more about Lida's own life story, we sense that her husband, Jani, has always been peripheral. When Lida left him in her late 20s, she had a relationship with a man called Professor Hardy, but she didn't really leave her husband for this man. Rather, Professor Hardy was a means for her to release her own desire, and this desire was more intellectual, professional, personal than physical. Professor Hardy was a waystage on her path when she was, as she puts it, when she is questioned by Nina, taking possession of her own life. The key relationships in this book are all between women. It seems to me that female Emancipation is one of the most important themes in Ferrante's work. And Ferrante is definitely in tune with the zeitgeist because emancipation leads to being single. To take four obvious examples, in My Brilliant Friend, Leela eventually shoes Enzo away. Lenu ends up living alone in Torino, strolling to the city park in the morning with her dog. Olga, the protagonist of the days of abandonment, briefly enters upon an affair with the musician guy, but finally has no further need of him. And here in this book, while Lida still feels sexual desire, it is not desire for men. One of the keys to Lida's biography, it seems to me, and to the emotions that plague her in subterranean fashion is the fact that she walked out on her marriage. She left her husband and daughters and stayed away for three years. She has always had a passionate and complex relationship with her daughters for whom, besides love, she also feels antipathy, irritation and guilt. And like other Ferranti heroines, She has a tangle of unresolved feelings in relation to her own mother, whose unhappiness she observed, whose love she was never entirely sure of, for whom as a girl she felt an unrequited desire for intimacy, a mother whom she loved but whom she judged harshly. This word, tangle or some variant of it recurs frequently in slightly different forms in all the books. At one point, Lita says, Now, 
it seemed to me that an encrusted sediment that had been lying for decades in the pit of my stomach was stirring. In Ferranti's world, a tangle of feeling is the lot of all women who are trying to emancipate themselves from power structures that are governed by men and at the same time take possession of their own lives while being mothers, lovers and daughters. Just as there is an encrusted sediment in the pit of leader's stomach, so there is a worm in the stomach of the doll. I alluded to it earlier, but there is a key conversation in the book when Nina, who is struggling with her own emancipation, gets to talk to Lida briefly in a crowded town square. For once, she is not being surveilled by her mafia family, and she asks Lida the question that is tormenting her. Why did you run out on your daughters? Lida replies that she felt that her love for her daughters would stop her from becoming herself. But this answer does not satisfy Nina. Nina, who is so close to her own daughter and who is struggling with her own demons, finds this failure of maternity destabilizing and threatening. And she probes, asking Lida how she felt without her daughters. Good. It was as if my whole self had crumbled and the pieces were falling freely in all directions with a sense of contentment. This is not what Nina wants to hear. She wants Lida to say that she felt sad and lost without them, but this wasn't the case. No, I didn't feel sad. I was too taken up with my own life. But I had a weight right here, as if I had a stomachache. And my heart skipped a beat whenever I heard a child called Mama. I was like someone who is taking possession of her own life and feels a host of things at the same time, among them an unbearable absence. I think this is a beautifully crafted story, and the reader savors the symbols that are threaded through it. The insect that Lida finds on her pillow, the lighthouse that beams its light into the bedroom of the apartment at night, the mud and dirt in the doll's stomach from which Lida eventually extracts a worm, even the rotten fruit under the show figs that greet Lida when she first enters the apartment. To conclude, I would like to say a word about the title. As I mentioned at the beginning, the title of the book in Italian is La Filia Oscura. This has been translated as The Lost Daughter, but it seems to me that the word lost is too definitive, too end-stopped, so to speak, to do justice to the tangle and layers of meaning in oscura. The Italian word oscura can be translated literally as obscure, but the word suggests shade, shadow, areas of light and darkness. It suggests to me the 
tangle of emotions that the subject struggles to bring into view, struggles to understand. This is a story about the knots and complications of the mother-daughter bond, the tangle of complicated feelings a mother feels for her offspring, about the primacy of the mother-daughter bond in a woman's life, about the unbearable absences baked in to the mother-daughter relationship. And also, we can add as an afterthought about the dispensability of men. And on that note, let us turn our attention in the next episode to the unfinished business of My Brilliant Friend. <laughs>